understand you don't have to be a breeder to have impact on conservation. Uh, a lot of times just sharing your knowledge or educating people about about the bigger picture and thinking of your animals as almost like an ambassador for the breed, that's really useful. Hatchery, it's The Coop, where we talk all things poultry in hopes of inspiring crazy chicken keepers and educating future flock owners. I'm your host, Kendra, and on the show today, you'll hear how heritage breed conservation and your backyard flock play an important role in agricultural biodiversity with Senior Program Manager Jeanette Berenger of the Livestock Conservancy. Now, heritage has become a popular word, so we further explore how the Livestock Conservancy defines heritage, as well as some of the criteria they use to rank breeds on their conservation priority list. You can find this list linked below in the show notes, but we've also marked the breeds we carry in our annual catalog on the breed comparison chart. If all of this sounds a little over your head, I encourage you to continue listening as the work of the Livestock Conservancy is more critical than ever in protecting our food system, conserving valuable genetic traits, supporting sustainable family farms, and preserving our history and culture. Breeding poultry, raising a backyard flock, or simply supporting the Livestock Conservancy's efforts all play an important role. But what exactly is the impact and what does it mean for you? The reason that we do this is because we want to preserve genetic diversity in agriculture. And so every time you lose one of these breeds, you lose a little bit of diversity for agriculture. And although one breed might not mean much or two breeds, but when you lose a whole bunch of breeds, all of a sudden diversity for that species can really go down dramatically. And most people understand the notion that when you don't have good diversity, you run into a lot of trouble. And, um, you know, you get uh, inbreeding, you can get genetic defects, you can get problems resisting disease or problems with fertility. And so diversity is a really good thing. The uh, And to go even deeper, the, the breeds that we work with are ones that if they were to go away tomorrow, there is no way to recreate them. So for modern breeds, we'll take, for instance, the Dorking. The Dorking is an ancient breed. It's been around, you know, since Roman times. The animals that that breed was created from simply don't exist anymore. But we've got a snapshot of them with the Dorking breed. And so that's why they would be included in our conservation priority list because of those set of circumstances. So you can think of the Livestock Conservancy in the same sense as you do saving seeds or saving the rainforest. It really comes down to biodiversity. And what the Livestock Conservancy does is brings that concept to your backyard or your farm in specific relation to species we're familiar with, like pigs and chickens and horses. Farmland in America is getting 
almost as endangered as rainforests out there, the way things are going with development and fewer and fewer people farming. And so part of what we do is to try and identify people that would be open to incorporating some of the breeds on their farms so that they have a job again, because most of these animals are rare because they lost their job to faster growing, you know, bigger breeds that are more competitive in a commercial setting. And as you mentioned before, uh, a lot of folks might be familiar with seed saving. And matter of fact, the, the gentleman who was the founder of the Doomsday Seed Vault in Svalbard, he was actually one of our first board members back in the 70s, Kerry uh, Fowler. And, you know, early on, he saw the parallels between the importance of say, genetic preservation and seeds as well as breed. And so they're very much interrelated in the big topic of preserving biodiversity for agriculture. That's too funny. I'm glad I brought that up then. That is very interesting. You know, and a lot of what we've been doing this year is educating people on the basics of chicken keeping because there's a lot of interest, but with that interest comes a lot of inexperience. And so we spend a lot of time trying to tell people, you know, what breeds might be appropriate for them and their basic needs and what happens when they're not the cute little chick and they get into these big animals and you have, you know, five cockroaches your hands. What are you going to do? So we spend a lot of time talking about that with people. Yeah, education is a huge part of it. Now, when it comes to backyard flock owners, what does the Livestock Conservancy really mean to someone that may just have a few chickens? They need to understand you don't have to be a breeder to have impact on conservation. Uh, A lot of times just sharing your knowledge or educating people about about the bigger picture and thinking of your animals as almost like an ambassador for the breed, that's really useful. And also the backyarders provide a market for the people that are doing the breeding. For me as a breeder, I have to produce, you know, one, 200 birds a year just to get that small group of outstanding birds that are going to be my breeders for next year. And I can only eat so many chickens in a year. And so I've got to find markets for all the extra birds that there's nothing wrong with them. They just don't make the cut as a top breeder from my program. And so a lot, as a matter of fact, all of my females are sold as backyard egg layers, Mm -hmm. um, which they're perfectly fine for. They just, for whatever reason, they've got, uh, you know, a white toenail or their crest isn't quite proper. Not every animal is meant to be a breeder. Mm -hmm. So the backyarders certainly have an important role to play in livestock and poultry conservation. Now, what is some of that criteria that you use to deem specific poultry breeds heritage? That's where a lot of people get confused. And there there are a few basic criteria. The way to put it most easily is they have to be an old breed with a long history in the United States. They need to breed naturally. Um, they need to thrive outdoors and, um, you know, preferably uh, on pasture. And 
they uh, need to breed true. You know, with all those things together, they really whittle down a group of birds that fit our definition of heritage. And there's a few exceptions here and there. Um, sometimes the breed may have been introduced a little bit later in the 20th century, but if our population here is pertinent to the global population, that might come into play. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate more on the difference between a barred rock and a heritage barred rock? We have a lot of customers that get confused between those two breeds. Well, it, it all comes down to the American Poultry Association and the standard of perfection. And that is your uh, poultry Bible. And since about 1873, the American Poultry Association has worked on describing in great detail what a chicken or turkey or duck or goose should look like. And the difference with some of the hatchery stock, you know, you had mentioned Plymouth Rock, uh, a barred Plymouth Rock that you get from a hatchery might not necessarily meet the standard of the original um, Plymouth Rock. So they may be a little bit smaller and um, not quite fit the standard. Sometimes you luck out and, and you've got, a, you know, a, a nice bird that might meet standard. But the great thing about hatchery birds is if you're just getting started and you're not quite sure what it is you, you want to get or you're not sure if this breed's going to work for you, um, it's much more easy to make an investment in a hatchery bird than it is for a, a purebred standard bred bird because, you know, what you're paying for is the the time and energy that a breeder is put into making sure that bird meets breed standard. And um, for instance, with our Crevors, it's taken me eight years of real intensive breeding to produce Crevcores that make breed standard weight, you know, eight years. <laughs> and I'm not done. Maintaining that quality is not as easy as you think because if you're not paying attention to crucial details very quickly, like within three generations, I guarantee you they're going to go back to being small or little defects are going to creep in that don't allow them to make breed standard anymore. And that's where uh, another area where we educate people is in how to do good selection in their birds if you want to take the next step and be a competent breeder, we can help you understand these are the key things that you need to be looking at at your chickens when you're making decisions on who you keep and who you don't, because it's really only the top 10% that you're going to hold back as breeders. If it was easy, everybody do it. It's, it's not as easy as everybody thinks. And it is a painstaking process to really produce a good bird that meets those specific standards. So no, I think that's a great definition of what you're looking for, especially in breeds that are very similar, like a barred rock and a heritage barred rock. Now that we have a better understanding of what defines a breed as heritage, how does that play a role in the livestock conservation priority list? And how do certain breeds get defined as critical versus watched or recovering and so forth? Well, that's a great question, and um, it's a little complex in the way we determine that because it's not simply numbers. And so, you know, so we start with the census, then we look at how many birds are in how many hands. Like, say you have uh, 500 Rhode Island whites are out there. 
well, if 400 of them are at one farm and the rest are spread out across the United States, that breed is not very secure because what happens if that farm gets hit by a fire or a tornado, you know, that's it. And so we look at the security of what's out there, how many hands are have these animals, because if it's one or two, that's not very secure. And then we'll also uh, look at the, uh, you know, I'd mentioned earlier about uh, long history in the United States and do they fit our criteria, you know, that we've outlined for, you know, what is a heritage breed. So they've got to be genetically significant. And, um, you know, those factors all combined together help us to determine what comes on. The last thing uh, which is pertinent for um, imported breeds, and this is one that really gets people frustrated, like I get calls, you know, how come the IM Samadhi is not on the list? Well, yeah, they're, they're a rare chicken in America, but they've only been in America for a very short period of time, and they're common where they come from. So we don't need to put a lot of effort into conserving that breed because there are plenty of them where they come from. Um, We do have circumstances where the U.S. population may be fairly new, but they're pertinent to the global population. Like, for instance, the Icelandic chicken is fairly new to America, but we have a sizable enough population here that if anything was to happen to the population in Iceland, we've got enough diversity and numbers to be able to preserve that breed here. If anything catastrophic, you know, like a volcano eruption in Iceland, you know, takes out the Icelandic population of, of chickens. So, you know, we, we really try to think long-term and globally. And so we do make exceptions for some foreign breeds that our population is pertinent to the, you know, the, the mother population abroad. Very interesting. So I just want to back up a little and discuss biodiversity in its own sense. If you're not familiar, the importance of biodiversity is that a lot of breeds you see these days across all different species have been maximized for production or disease resistance, mostly for commercial benefit. Now, if you're raising heritage breeds, you are giving a more diverse selection of breeds and traits so that in an instance where there's a catastrophic event like sickness or environmental changes, we have a greater chance of sustaining that breed since it can do things like naturally reproduce. Now, when the pandemic hit, I was recording an episode with Adam Danforth, the author of Butchering Chickens, and he's a huge advocate of the Good Meat Project and heritage breeds in general. We were talking about how the pandemic was changing the meat scene, and I do think it really highlighted what biodiversity means in a more modern sense or modern times for us. So when packaging plants were closing down for a while and there was the fear of scarcity, 
a lot of people were purchasing Cornish Cross meat birds because that's what they're familiar with to raise and process in a short time and get them in the freezer. However, they are a hybrid breed, so they do come from a cross to produce the genetics that make that a fast-growing breed, right? And so I think a lot of people were starting to realize, well, when the hatcheries are sold out or the breeders are sold out, then where am I getting these birds from and you're gonna have to go back to looking at heritage breeds and I know a ton of people were looking for dual purpose breeds even. They wanted eggs for their family and they still wanted to process it for meat. So I think it kind of made everyone take a step back and be like wait a minute how are we going to self-sustain? Well it kind of starts with species that self-sustain and the idea of biodiversity really emphasizes the importance of raising heritage breeds and being self-sustainable all the way around. So I hope that explanation better helps you as flock owners understand your role in biodiversity and how it directly affects you. Now again, you don't have to run out and become a heritage breed breeder unless your heart is set on it. You can, like Jeanette mentioned, just purchase the overabundance of birds from breeders who don't necessarily make it into their breeding flock. Not only will it help you, but it will also help the breeder because they are truly doing it out of love of the breed, love of the hobby, love of conservation. They are not here making a living, right? I can tell you, uh, you know, as frugal as I am and, you know, not wasting anything, I can tell you it takes at least $15 to raise my bird to market weight. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell a bird for five bucks. Yep. <laughs> you know, I'm not even going to sell it for 15 bucks because that only it touches the surface of how much it costs me to feed that animal to this point. Then you talk about, you know, taking care of them every day for months on end. And, you know, I, I, I lose my shirt on these birds, but yeah. It's my hobby. This is what I do. And and most poultry people, you know, if they can pay for feet, they're doing backflips. But, you know, it, it really is very costly. And, um, you know, especially if you're trying to produce numbers of birds. So it, it is for a love. And I can tell you there are a lot of poultry breeders out there that know a heck of a lot more about genetics than most geneticists do. It's just really a Astounding to sit back and listen to especially the old timers that you know they've figured out a lot of stuff just by trial and error and and learning from people that came before them and it's humbling mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really humbling when you've got a master breeder that can see putting you know x bird and y bird together they're going to get z and they're probably right <laughs> you know and and um and that's a fine art that's crafted over many, many years. So yeah, poultry keeps us busy for sure. And it's hard to believe that poultry is just one small segment of all of the species you cover. I mean, you really have to take the big picture approach if you're going to do conservation in a meaningful way. Thankfully, we, we've got a long history and it's based on tried and true methods. And, um, you know, it, it can be a bit time 
time consuming and you have to be patient, but, you know, we make great progress and sometimes it's in leaps and bounds, but usually it's slow, but steady. And I, I just couldn't be in a better place, uh, you know, for making a difference in, um, in agriculture. If you're wanting to do a deeper dive and, and get involved with the breed, then certainly give us a call and we can help walk you through what's going to work best for you because often people can be surprised that the breed they thought they really wanted is maybe a horrible choice for the kind of land you have or, or the experience you have. Some breeds are not for the inexperienced, so uh, we help walk people through that. So. Um, uh, we're, we're there to help you. Perfect. And I'll be sure again to link your Facebook page and the Livestock Conservancy website below in the show notes. Jeanette, thank you for joining me. I appreciate all your insight and wisdom and we cannot wait to see what you guys have in store over the next coming months. Well, thanks for having me on. See you all next week.